On this episode, we deal with something that I have really struggled with my whole business career and something that will revolutionize your business and get you out of the whirlwind if you'll do it right. Uh, You're also going to hear some crazy stories about uh, a CEO, who's the one I'm interviewing, who gives people $5,000 to quit if they leave after their first two weeks of training. So we'll get into that in this episode with Chris Ronzio, who's the CEO of Trainual. We're going to talk about systems and processes. Not normally a very fun thing, at least not for me, but I promise you this episode is fun and you're going to learn a lot and be encouraged to uh, implement some ideas that are going to help you get out of the whirlwind and get focused on what really matters. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Chris. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you do a lot of really cool stuff. You run a couple of software businesses, one main one, uh, Trainual, and you just wrote a book. And uh, this morning, I just saw a post on LinkedIn uh, from a Fast Company where it said that uh, there's a CEO, which turns out to be you, that is giving yeah. their employees uh, $5,000 to quit. We'll get to that later. That'll be a good talking point when we get there. But before we get there, I want to rewind a little bit and talk about the idea behind this company as a whole. You've done a couple of different ventures over time. I mean, you were uh, won the entrepreneur of a year last year. Like you've, you've done all kind of stuff, but why train you? Well, what 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 got you into this software product? What problem were you trying to address for people um, when you kind of got it going? So Trainual is like the culmination of all the businesses I had before Trainual. So I started my first company when I was 14 years old. I was in high school and it was a video production company. And I was literally the one standing on camera at the the camera, operating the camera, editing the videos, shipping all the videos, selling the contracts, doing all those jobs. And slowly, little by little, as that business grew, I replaced myself in each of those positions. I found other camera operators and other editors other sales reps, other production managers, events coordinators. And as I was getting better at packaging up a role and all the responsibilities that went with it, I was writing our SOPs, our systems and processes. And that became my passion. It was how do I package this business and make it so turnkey that we can just take on more and more work. We can hire more and more people. And I feel like I unlocked this secret of consistency for a small business. And that was the key to helping that company grow. So when I sold that business after 12 years, I started a consulting firm and started helping other companies do this. And as I was helping them, I was putting together the same thing. SOP is an online training and I was doing it with all these different tools. And I thought it'd be really cool if I had my own. So that's where the idea for Trainual came from. It was how do we make one central online place that's really easy to use where everyone can document what they do and have a how-to guide for every role in the company. So it's funny to me when I hear somebody say that they get excited about SOPs because that is not something I get excited about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but thank God for people like you because if I didn't have the the mindset of you know folks like you, I would I would just be a disaster in business. So fourteen years old, that is really early. That's earlier than me. I started this agency when I was seventeen, and most people think that's mm-hmm. impressive, but fourteen is really impressive. Um, so before I talk about the product or SOPs or anything else that people actually need to know, what I'm curious about is, do you think that people are born as entrepreneurs or do you think that it is uh, something that they just learn over time? 
I don't think you have to be born as an entrepreneur, but I do think there's circumstances in your life that predispose you to taking those opportunities when you see them. And so for me, you know, I, I didn't set out to start a video company. I set out to join a friend of mine and host a little cable access TV show. And that's what got me with my hands on the gear. And it was only as we started to get some notoriety with the show that people started offering us money to film their events and do things for them. And so as my other friends were trying to get jobs at the gas stations and the supermarkets, I thought, well, this person's going to pay me $300 to film their cousin's wedding. Like, I'll just do that this weekend, <laughs> you know? And so it, it kind of happened, not so much intentionally, but because I was open to that opportunity. Yeah, I love that because I we I get to hear a lot of these stories on this show because every week I'm interviewing entrepreneurs like you have started things when they were really young. And sometimes it's people who have been in the corporate world their whole life and then they switch. And then my favorite stories are the ones that are, you know, more like me. I'm a three on the Enneagram for people that are familiar with that. So I, I like Same. I like people that are like Same. me, you know. And uh and so when I hear those stories, it just like makes my heart warm. And and it's funny too to think about I, I saw this post the other day on LinkedIn from a guy named uh, Will Reynolds. He runs a one of the biggest like search engine optimization firms in the country called Sear Interactive. Really great guy. Mm -hmm. He actually just demoted himself recently to VP, which is interesting. Um but on on his um, post, he was talking about his first SEO like gig, and he posted the contract online, and it was like three three hundred and fifty dollars a month for like him plus a bunch of team members plus all this work, and it was like a six month agreement where the client had like scratched off the last four months, and they were only going to pay him for the first two months in hopes they could show some results. Meanwhile, now this yeah. guy runs like a mega multi million dollar company, you know, and. Uh, yeah. But sometimes what it takes in the early days, it's $300 on a weekend as a kid, basically, to film a, a wedding because you're like, that's great money when you're that age. Absolutely. And, you know, as I got older, it was, you know, a pretty low bar. It was how can I cover the food I need to eat and my rent and just scrape by and make two or three thousand dollars a month. That was success in entrepreneurship early on. And I think a lot of people, you know, especially if they have these big corporate jobs with a ton of benefits and great salaries, it becomes harder and harder to start a business because you have a, a higher bar that you have to reachieve as an entrepreneur. And so I, I consider myself pretty lucky that I did this in high school and college when my bar was very low. But I think that's a great example. And I do too. I feel the same way because I'm like, if I had to start a business now, I mean, I've got five kids and a mortgage to pay for and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And if I had to like truly start over, it'd be, I would be more equipped now to do it for sure, but it'd be much more daunting mm -hmm. and scary. So I really like empathize with people in that position trying to, especially in this season, a lot of people are trying to start new things, I think over the last couple of years. And it is a real advantage to start so young. But I also think when people are starting, it's easy to feel like they have to have everything perfected. I mean, I think even people listening to a show like this or watching, whether they're watching or listening, you know, we both have great mics and great video setups and great lighting. But if you go back and listen to the first episode of this podcast, the audio is horrible. It's like me in a conference <laughs> yeah. room with like one mic on the table with like four people in the room. And and my yeah. thing is like, you just got to start. You got to go do something, prove it, see if somebody's willing to pay for it, and then go from there. 100%. Um, what I'm curious about is... Uh, where we where we diverge in our like uh, similarities in those early years is that idea of being excited about systems and processes. I did not have right. a clear vision about how that would even add value to me or why it mattered. So, like, is, it was that instinctual for you? What what kind of gave you those guide rails to kind of go? Okay, I know I need these things so that I can because that's a pretty wise thing at a young age. 
Yeah. So let me give you a little context. My video production company, like I mentioned at the beginning, it was like, we'll film anything. We'll film parties and weddings and bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and music videos and corporate videos and commercials and whatever you'll pay us for. I have a camera work for hire. Like that was the idea, you know, at the beginning. And we started getting these sporting events. And what was different about sporting events is once we had a contract with an organization, they would have games every week or they'd have tournaments every quarter or every season. And we'd get a contract and we'd keep it. And it would be this recurring thing over and over. And so I started to look at the difference between the recurring events versus the one-off events. And I preferred the stickiness of those recurring events. That was how I built my business. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way, doing any kind of work in your business, transactional work for a customer, whether it's a one-time customer or a repeat customer, it's transactional in nature. But if you're putting systems in place in the business, if you're plugging a hole, hiring a person, sharing what to do with them, then it's more tangible. It's like you've put this brick in the foundation of your business. And so I think early on, I got addicted to that. It was how do I little by little build these bricks of a foundation of a business so I don't have to do that part of the business anymore. And I found that to be the most tangible, the most uh, long lasting thing in a business was if you can create a system and you can empower someone else to operate that system, take ownership of that system and have their own best practices and innovation around that system, then you focus on other things in the business. And that was how we really started to grow was we weren't treading water anymore, trying to figure things out every time. Yeah, that is such a big deal. I think even it took me so long to just get recurring work down and recurring revenue. But I think that idea that you're talking about is really important for people to think about is how can I not just create recurring processes, but even recurring revenue in business. And obviously you're in the software business, which lends itself to that now, but video work doesn't inherently lends itself to that in the early days. Many people in that space are just going project to project. And I remember my uncle in the early days, kind of my business mentor said, look, you got to find a way to create some recurring revenue and create some and, but I wasn't thinking repeatable processes at that point. And that was like one of the biggest missed opportunities for me in those early years was, was thinking about that. But I love how you also put it, you know, documenting these processes and systems so that you can empower other people and allow them to take ownership of those things. Because it's not just about like dictating a play-by-play, although that's really helpful for some things. It's also going, hey, here's the playbook, but if you can make it better, make it better. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, the beginning of doing anything, it's pretty rudimentary. The audio is bad. The video is bad or whatever you're doing. It's not perfect. And so me as the founder doing something for the first time, I wasn't good at everything, Mm -hmm. but I kind of duct taped together ways to make it work that were good enough. And then I would hand it to someone, give them ownership. And because they had such narrow focus, they were able to make that thing so much better. And so they'd rewrite the best practice or the SOP. And then everything in the company is just getting incrementally better. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I love the clarity of your website. I mean, I'm a website guy, so and a messaging guy. So when I see these things, I'm like, oh man, this is so good. So for about just listening, you should go check out their website for nothing else as like a case study from a marketing perspective. So go to trainual.com. It's a word they made up, which I love made up words. I mean, Google made up words, you know. Um, <laughs> train U A L. I can't spell a regular word anyway. But and the the headline just says onboard, train, and scale your small business. Super clear. Onboarding and training problems, meet Trainual, one powerful playbook for every process, policy, role, and responsibility so you can grow without growing pains. And then uh, such an interesting thing, too, like the the primary call to action is try free, and then in parentheses, no credit card, which is like a long button, but it's very, you're like, oh, okay, well, it takes away that objection and that fear up front, which I really love. (laughs) 
And it sounds great when you're reading that now, but there were so many iterations oh, to sure. get to today. And I'm sure anyone listening or watching this, it'll be different next week. You know? Yeah, no, that's good. It's constant testing and constant improvement. I, I totally get that. Um, and so let's talk about that a little bit. Building software is something a lot of people think they want to do. Um, a lot of people yeah. have ideas for apps or software. And, and so what you did was take um, an idea that you knew that you needed to help people with, which is improve and create systems and processes, and then create a tool that allowed them to do that. Along the way, yeah. building software, we build some software you know, as part of our business, so I understand a lot of the pains in that area. Um, what were things that you learned as you kind of got into that business that maybe were roadblocks along the way? Well, it was a roundabout kind of experience. So I mentioned I had this consulting business. After I sold my video company, I was consulting for other small businesses. And I interacted with one client, one customer of mine that had some sort of video online hybrid. And that's why I was attractive as a consultant to them. I came from the video events background and they were trying to put together this website that would live stream videos from all these different events. And so I came in initially to consult on their operations, but got exposed to the software piece and had never been exposed before. So I saw how they were putting instructions and designs and, and, and giving those to developers. And then it was like this black box that something would emerge a couple of weeks later that didn't exist before. And that to me sounded like magic. And so <laughs> I just got exposed to that. On the side, I thought, okay, I have a lot of ideas. I could probably start building some things. And so uh, I got a, a, a $9 a month subscription to a, a mock-up tool. Uh, I started looking into these like bootstrap themes that you can download a theme for an entire application for you know $25 or something like that. And I started playing around. How do I just take the elements from this theme and design a page that had forms and buttons and some instructions for what I wanted this thing to do. And then I was able to package that and give it to some freelance uh, developers and say, hey, what would it cost for me to turn this into a, a real website? And so again, it was this very duct tape version of trying to get into software development, but I made some little investments, you know, $2,000 here, $3,000 there, and started to create tools with forms that actually did things. It would be a data table and a form, and it, it, it was like this magic thing that I made up. And so I started using those kind of things in my consulting business. And when I decided to work on Trainual to make that the focus, it was very much the same approach. Like, let me just put together all my ideas. Let me design some basic pages. Let me pay some developers. All in the first version of Trainual cost $10,000. Mm -hmm. That was my budget. And, and so, you know, people have these ideas and they go to agencies and they get these like multi hundred thousand dollar kind of quotes. And, and then it, they, they never take action. And for me, it was like, how do I just get something that's a proof of concept that I can put in front of real customers? That's all Trainual was for three years. It was $10,000 and three years of me talking to customers. So this is such like a great life lesson for entrepreneurs listening, because I think a lot of people do exactly what you said, which is they just try and do everything. It's kind of reads back what we were talking about earlier. It's like, you don't have to have the best equipment to start. And, you know, as you were saying all that, I thought, it's kind of like you were playing with it before you were paying for it, you know, and um, and you didn't go out and hire a giant team. You didn't go out and hire a giant agency, which sounds like anticlimactic for me because I do own an agency that does send out large invoices for people and would like to do work for them. But I would yeah. much rather them test a proof of concept before they have us come build a giant thing because we want a long-term relationship. And if there's not something yeah. that's been like tested, I had a, actually had a consult meeting yesterday with a client. Um, and I was trying to help them kind of develop some product pricing strategy. And they were wanting to do this big addition to the company. 
with all this stuff is going to take a lot of work. And, and I was like, look, let's just, just do one of them. Just do like one of the little products. Call one of the 10 prospects that you think are good fits for this. Actually, call all of them probably. And just say, hey, here's what we're working on. Does this sound like it'd be helpful for you? Let me send you a demo. And get some actual proof of concept. Because until somebody actually starts paying, people can tell you it's a great idea all day long. But until they, until they actually get their credit card out, they, I mean, they don't really, they're not really committed to it. Yeah. And, you know, I am, I'm all for hiring agencies. I love the agencies that offer some kind of proof of concept discovery project yeah. where it's like, let's just sketch something out and let's pay some small amount of money before we're even going to give you a quote for the big thing. Cause how could we possibly quote the big thing until we do this discovery work? And so I think entrepreneurs that invest in that discovery work, that is a, an incredible return on investment because those uh, that's smart people helping you ask the right questions and refine your vision for this thing and figure out what's the minimum thing we could launch to real customers. I think it, the, the trap is when people get into building before they've done that work. And then you've got some endless bill that is never quite right and you never launch it or get that return. Yeah, and it's a nightmare for everybody that way. And I lived for years like that doing that kind of work. And and now, mm. <laughs> not to try to make the podcast about me, my wife always tells me I need to shut up and let other people talk since it's about them. But <laughs> but but it is that. we Now we do what we call a blueprint up front. It's a paid discovery. Yeah. We're going to figure out Great. what's right. And they're going to get a blueprint, whether it's for a marketing plan or for an app. And they might they might take that to somebody else and, and have them build it. That's fine. That's that's great. Or they might have us do it. Most of the time they do. Um, yeah. But but I think that model works really well. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it that way. Two things I want to jump into and transition to. Um, first, the book. Um, uh, Chris's new book that is out is called The Business Playbook. Um, if I was a good podcast host, I would have that book with me. But I think I'm even a better leader, not to toot my own horn, but I actually gave the book to my director of operations, and he's currently working through it. So uh, he's responsible <laughs> for building out our process because, like I said, that is a major weakness for me, and I'd rather just delegate the entire thing. So uh, he's actually reading it right now, and he's going to be excited to see the show. So I want to talk about the book a little bit, talk about what's in it, talk about how it's going to uh, benefit and value people that go grab a copy, and then I would love to just spend a few minutes talking about actually like some of the tactical things out of the book or even out of Trainual, how people can just start on this process of documenting their processes so that their people are more empowered along the way. So you just released the book. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah. So like you said, it's called The Business Playbook. You know, the first business book I ever read was The E-Myth by Michael E. Gerber. I don't know if you've read that book. Yep. I'm sure a lot of people have. Millions have been sold. And I was really fortunate to have Michael write the forward to my book. And so awesome. it really came full circle. But, you know, his book is all about how you go from working in the business on the business. That's where that phrase, that cliche kind of came from. And getting out of the day-to-day -day doing the tasks so that you can be a manager, be an entrepreneur, be a leader. And in that book, he suggests that you create an operations manual. And, and if you want to make your business this prototype that could just scale infinitely like a franchise, you need instructions. And so I read that book as a kid, and that's probably what was, you know, one of the things that inspired me to start writing instructions in my business. But it never gave me the instructions to write the instructions. And so all these years later, that's what my book is. It's like, okay, you want to have a guide to your business. You want to have a manual, a playbook, whatever you call it. Here's the framework. Here's everything to document in your business with checklists as you go through it. Here's how to write down a process. Here's who to put in charge. Here's how to roll it out to your employees. Here's how to get them involved with making it. Here's how to hand it off to someone like you just did. Uh, all of that is inside the book. So I think this is the kind of thing um, that every entrepreneur needs. Um, 
I mean, and I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. You can get a Kindle copy for only seven bucks right now. Paperback 16. I mean, it's, it's like the value that comes out of a book like that to me. It took me a long time also to start reading. I'm mildly dyslexic, but, but it is so absolutely incredible. So I also love the alignment between the book and obviously your actual product. So when I go on the, on your website again, I look under product. You got platforms as processes, policies, people, and company. Um, talk about how you kind of separate those things and how those things kind of play together, not just in the platform, but for a business and for that entrepreneur's growth. Yeah. So we really wanted to make Trainual a playbook software. And so in writing the book, it was also kind of a guide to our product team. And what is the structure of a playbook? How do you document your business? And so we came up with the four P's in a business. And so on the website, Trainual's website, I think we call it company in the book, I call it profile, but either way, it's what is the, the profile of your entire business? You know, what is your mission, your vision, your values? What is the story of the business? Who's the customer you serve? What is your market? Uh, what's the big picture for your company. All of that is stuff that everyone in your business should be aligned on and needs to know. And so that's the first P in profile or company. The next P is your people. So every business, even if you're in the same market, you've got different people that work there. Those people have different roles, responsibilities, backgrounds, titles, contact information, and any new person in a business needs a lot of clarity around who does what, who do I go to for what? And so you document that. The next piece is your policies. Think of this like your handbook, your rules. These could be the legal rules that you have to abide by. Could just be cultural norms, things that are okay or not okay in your business based on the culture that you want. And that's your policies. And then finally is your processes. And those are the instructions, the SOPs. And so when you think about those four Ps or those four areas of a business, that is all of the knowledge in a company that you would write down, whether you are trying to get a new member of your team up to speed, uh, an investor, a partner, a contractor, if you're selling the business someday, that's the knowledge of the company that you need to encapsulate. And so that is what the playbook is. It's what's described in the book and it's what our software aims to help you write down. So two of the things that I think we have struggled with, and I think a lot of people probably struggle with it as a company as well, our industry changes very quickly. And so as a result, how we do things changes very quickly as well. Yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, just advice you might have for people out there as they create some of these, you know, uh, processes and things internally, especially when it's like, here's how we do whatever it is. And it's 20 steps or maybe a video or whatever. And that yeah. then changes, you know, two months later. What advice do you give to people to kind of keep things current in the midst of a pretty rapidly changing world? Yes. Yeah, so first of all, only like 50 to 80% of your business should be documented. My belief is that you don't write down the way until there is a right way to do it. Don't write the way until there's a right way. And in any business, if you're innovating and experimenting and trying new things, you don't have 100% certainty on how 100% of your stuff is done. And so the goal is not to document everything. It's to document the consistent things that people are doing all the time so that we don't have mistakes and we have consistency of experience for our customers. So that's the goal is write that stuff down. But then we talked about empowerment earlier by dividing up roles and responsibilities across your team. You're actually saying here, this is your area of the business for you to keep up to date in the playbook. It's not one person's job across the company. Yes. It's everybody's job to say, this is how I do what I do, because that frees them up to be able to take PTO, go on vacation, go on a sabbatical, move on to their next role. If they know they are not going to impact the company by making that move because the company can survive. 
Yeah, we got to better do a better job of this. <laughs> Whenever I start talking about this stuff, I'm like, man, I can just see everyone. We 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 have played with a lot of stuff, and we need to come back and, and look at Trainual again. We right now we have basically a, a, a cobbling of Google Docs together, um, yeah. which is better than what we used to have. But it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. And you know, and and the the point of the book is not to pump up our software. You know, sure, we don't talk sure, too much about the sure. software in the book because if you're doing it in Google or some other tool, at least you're doing it. Like that is the goal. You know, the our, our vision as a company is that every business has a playbook. Mm-hmm. And the reason that so many businesses, the vast majority of businesses don't have one right now is because there's no good way to capture, collect, and organize all that information. And so that's something that we can drive toward forever is how do we make that easier every year? Yeah, and I think that's a, it's such a big deal. I love the part where you're talking about like the volume of stuff to document. That's something we've struggled with a little bit. We we operate under uh, traction, which I'm pretty sure you've heard of. Yeah. A, a guy yeah. like Gino Wickman wrote that no, book. Yeah. Um, we love that system, and they talk about kind of documenting your way, but even that is it, it, it lacks a lot of what you're talking about in the playbook, which is like okay, the, I get like the general idea, but man, I need a be- I need a better system. I need a better I need a better system to create my systems, basically, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. and and that's what that's what I think is the value there. Um, yeah. The other thing that you mentioned, just kind of briefly in passing, that I want to kind of like circle back to, just for people to think about, they're listening, is this idea of like an infinitely scalable product, mm-hmm. um, or or at least a highly scalable product or service model. I know a lot of people are bound by their time. And for yeah. me at this point, like the beauty is the business runs pretty well without me, but I will still do things that are unscalable. Even you being on a podcast, you being on a podcast is unscalable time, right? Like you don't get this 30 or 45 minutes back. And so it needs to create more value and, and, and a really high level of value for the company. Otherwise you shouldn't do it. So mm-hmm. um, what are some things people should think about when they're trying to take a business that maybe doesn't seem like, like, a, like your old video business, a, a scalable business and make it more scalable, especially when there's a lot of people involved maybe if it's not a software business? Well, there's a spectrum of scalability, I would say. So yes, me being on this podcast, it's hard to replace this time. I can't get this 45 minutes back, but the people that are watching this can watch it infinitely as evergreen content, wherever you post it on the podcast and online. And so this is better than me having a 45 minute meeting with someone in a room that's not recorded. And so as I try to shift my time towards more scalable activities, this is much more scalable than a one-to-one meeting. So I think anybody can do that in the business. So I'll I'll go company by company. My first business, the video company, what was unscalable was the amount of creative that we were trying to pack into every video. Like I thought of every video, like I'm I'm trying to win an Oscar or something, you know, like every video I was buying different music from these royalty free providers. I had different animations. I'd have explosions going with like P Diddy (laughs) in the background, you know, (laughs) and like I, I prided myself based on that creativity. But then as I started hiring other editors, I saw their version of that creativity is entirely different. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a really creative business and and the artisanship is like what you're providing, then you're going to have a cap on how many customers you can take. And so your price goes up and up and up and up and up. And that's why the greatest artists, the greatest agencies and firms and thinkers and consultants will just continue to charge higher dollar amounts as there's more and more demand for their time. That's how they scale. But if you're trying to scale based on volume of transactions, like we were in the video business, we realized that what people were really trying to buy at these sporting events was just the raw coverage. They couldn't bring a camera in, they're covered, their seat wasn't from a good angle. They just wanted the raw coverage. And so as the business evolved, we started doing uh, 
HD video clips with zero editing. It was like start and stop, zero editing, zero introduction, zero credits, zero music, but it was incredible HD footage that they could walk out of the venue with on a USB drive. And so they'd stick it into their iTunes and they were way happier than the customers that were waiting three weeks for their Blu-ray disc in the mail, <laughs> you know, that, that were, that was like the highest production value. And so when we realized like the scalable thing, then it was easy to just get camera operators around the country with the best cameras, show up, film the events. And we, and we could uh, have a process for that. So in my consulting business, the scalability was what is the, the package that people buy rather than selling hourly consulting. We created a package with very finite results. It was, we would go in and do this flagship project, a three-day onsite project, and I could hire other consultants to do the same exact project. And I had a team in-house that would package all those findings together into a template that was the same exact report everyone would get at the end of this project. And then we had a series of other uh, ongoing deliverables like the SOP creation that had package prices to it. And so even in a service business like that, we were able to package something that more scalably you could teach other people. I love getting to talk to people that are smarter than me. Uh, when I hear all that stuff, I'm like, man, that is so smart. Even yesterday, I've been doing some coaching with other agency clients and just showing them how we've started to package certain things. But it's just taken me like, you know, 23 years to figure it out. And um, but hearing that kind of stuff, it's like, man, that's so it's so valuable for business owners to be thinking about these things, because, you know, one of the things that we'll end the podcast on today, because I always ask a question around work life balance. So we'll get to that. I'm gonna go to the $5,000 employee question, then I'm going to go to the uh, work-life okay. question, is how how do I get out of the whirlwind? And that's one of the biggest things that you're addressing with what you teach people to do, because you can't get out of the whirlwind if it's all in your head. And a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of small business owners and leaders, if they're not there, the thing doesn't work. Yeah. And that's a problem. So I know you asked for concrete exercises, tactical sort of stuff. Can I share one? That's sure, from please the book do. That'd that be great. Can do? Okay. So one of the other frameworks in the book is do it, document it, delegate it. And so for a business owner, you want to delegate everything, right? You don't want the business to need you. Eventually you want to be able to get out of everything. And so if you had a menu that was, here's everything that our company does, here's every role in the business, here's every responsibility in the business. Then the idea of do it, document it, delegate it means someone's doing it. It might be you doing it if you wear a lot of the hats, but someone's doing it. And if you can document, if you can write down the instructions, that's your key to giving it to someone else, to delegating it to someone else. And so if you think about every role, every responsibility, and then do it, document it, delegate it, that's your way of building those bricks like I talked about in my business. And so the exercise in the book is something you can do with your whole team in less than a day, 24 hours, where you go through and have every single person brainstorm all their responsibilities. So if you're listening to this, the first thing to do is just think, what do I do? by on a time basis, what I do every day, what I do every week, every month, every quarter, every year. I promise you, if you take five minutes to just think about that, you'll come up with dozens of things. Mm -hmm. You just think about your average day, your average week, there'll be reports you do, there'll be emails you send, meetings you have, all that stuff will just come, come uh, up to the surface. So that's the first thing, time period. Next, if you use electronic 
kind of tools in your business, email, calendar, go to your outbox, your email outbox, and look at your last two weeks of sent mail. This is a hack I've given to so many people, but this shows you the actual stuff you interact with in your business. The messages that you send, the ones you actually reply to, the ones you delegate or forward to somebody else. It's the conversations you're having, and you can pull so many responsibilities out of that. Same with your calendar. Just do a quick audit of your calendar. Look at all the meetings, the calls, the sales appointments, the presentations, the networking groups, all the stuff that you're in. Those are your responsibilities. And if you do all that stuff exhaustively in 15, 20 minutes, a half hour, you'll pull out dozens, maybe hundreds of responsibilities. And if you have your whole team do that, you've got thousands of things there's your menu of stuff to start to pick off and work on. And it's such an easy thing, but it's what you need to do. You need to have the table of contents for your playbook before you start writing anything. And and people will often say in response to stuff like that, that they don't have the time to do it. And I always say, you don't have the time not to do it. Um, But (laughs) because I mean, and I had a, I had a mentor one time tell me, he said, look, if, if you want to know what your real priorities are, go look at your bank account and go look at your calendar and I'll tell you what they are. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is like, audit your calendar, look at the last two weeks of who you're sending messages to. And then that do document delegate is really powerful. In every one of our roles, uh, one of the things that we do is we at the bottom of kind of, we have a single sheet for every role and at the bottom of the sheet, it has kind of a daily, weekly, monthly. This is not all up to date. It's one of our current things we're working on. Um, But, but I I think it's really helpful because you can look at that particular seat and go, Hey, every day, every week, every month, what is this person what are the activities that this person's doing? Not every single thing, but like the yeah. big things, you know? And I think that gives a, go- a lot of good uh, perspective. That's super tactical, super helpful. I think if most people would just do those things you just mentioned and just outline that stuff, they'd have an incredible starting point. Yeah. And I guarantee I could find a half hour on anyone's calendar. Not everything you have on your calendar is due by 5 p.m. today. So that's right. Absolutely. So two uh, things I want to round the podcast out with today. Um, The first one is that Fast Company article that I glanced at this morning from your LinkedIn account, which said something to the effect of, and you can clarify me wherever I'm wrong, that if if an employee in the early days chooses to go, hey, I'm out of here, you you in some cases will pay them up to $5,000 to self-select out. And then the thing I'll go to after that is what I always like to end on, which is a question around around work-life balance means something different to everybody. Before we get there, Let's talk about this $5,000 thing. Uh, What is that all about? (laughs) Yeah. So when we hire people, they go through a training process over their first two weeks that is pretty well organized. It's a full schedule. They're meeting all the teams. They're learning about the company. They're going through their content in our software trainual, and they're getting to know the business. And so by the end of that two weeks, they get an automatic survey that goes to them and they get one of two choices. They get to either opt in and continue with their employment in the business and they pick yes or they get to opt out and they get to say, no, I'm going to walk. And it's a $5,000 stipend if you walk away to kind of help pay for the time, the frustration, the, you know, going to find your next gig. And so the idea with that, and it's a, it's the same across every person in, in the whole company, whatever role. And so the idea was, you know, how do we get people that go through their training, their onboarding, and maybe they see a red flag or a yellow flag and they're thinking in the back of their head, I don't know if this company is for me. I don't know if I'm qualified to do this job. I don't know if this is what I thought I was getting into. And if there's any any crack in the foundation of their confidence for, for moving forward with the company, then it is a great offer for them to just raise their hand and you know walk away all good. <laughs> like no, no questions asked. 
if we continue to invest in that person for months and years, and they've already got one foot out the door, it's going to be way more painful for us to try to replace them six or 12 months from now than it would when we already have a pool of other candidates that we could have hired for the same job. Right. And so we're trying to fast track. How do we get them to make that decision? The other cool thing is we've talked about empowerment a couple of times. It really puts them in the driver's seat. They get to pick the company or fire the company. And that sets a great precedent for the rest of our relationship together because we're telling them, you know, we know you can get another job at any time. You're in the driver's seat. And we want to hold ourselves accountable to being the right place for you, not just now, but in the future. So I think it's a great little hack. Now, the caveat here, the article mentions this. I would say this to anyone listening. If you already have a ton of turnover, like if people are already quitting a lot, this is just going to be adding some financial burden to your <laughs> right. turnover problems. So don't, don't do that. Do this if you feel like you're trying to go from good to great. If right. you already have like, if you maybe got a few people that you uh, you unexpectedly lost six or 12 months in, that's when this is a great tactic. Yeah. One, that's, that's one of the most radical ideas I've ever heard. And yet when I hear it, especially in the context of a healthy culture that doesn't have a high turnover, that's a good clarification. It yeah. seems absolutely brilliant because I do think it's it's kind of the same reason I have chosen not to do long-term contracts with our agency clients. Um, mm. I mean, I want long-term commitments. In other words, I want to be with them for a long time. I want them to be with us. But if at some point, you know, 90 days in, they go, man, we're just, we're just not compatible. I want them to leave. Like, because yeah. I, I probably am thinking the same thing, you know? Um, and our team's probably thinking the same thing. And if not, we want to clarify that and get those expectations right. But um, the team member idea, I've never even considered anything like that, but it makes a lot of sense, especially for a what I would anticipate is probably a very rapidly growing company like yours. Yeah, so how, absolutely. How, that makes me wonder, like how 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 large is your team, um, and and how rapidly has that changed over time? Today we're eighty-one people. Uh, we're almost four years old. So the first year was five people. The second year was eighteen. The third wow. year was thirty-nine, I think, and and now we're eighty-one. Great. And um, I have probably tons of other questions I don't have time for today as it relates to growing uh, or, or building in leadership around a team like that. We'll have to do that on another, on another day because leading five people is very different than leading 81, I would anticipate. I've never led 81, but that would be my guess. Um, okay, last, last thing we'll wrap up on. Um, as I said from the beginning, uh, one of the things that matters a lot to me is not really work-life balance. I don't really love that phrase. A lot of people use it, but that's, I'm going to use it just for so people know what we're talking about. But like I said, I got a bunch of kids and, um, you know, I don't want to be totally absent. I'm also a recovering workaholic. I love to work. I like what I get to do like 86% of the time, you know? And, yeah. um, and so I'm not sad to go to work. I like doing what I do. I, I could do it. A, a, I could do it all day long. Like until I fall asleep, I did when I was younger, but it's hard to do that and maintain, you know, being a good dad and, and having good friends and maintaining a marriage and whatever else. Is, and everybody's life is different, you know. Yeah, but for yeah. you, obviously, that's changed a lot over time from a 14-year-old videographer to, you know, a mature leader. So what has that looked like for you? And how do you even keep your own sanity in the midst of growing a thriving business? Well, my, my mom taught me when I was younger that, you know, good things are great in moderation. You know, and so you could eat cake all day and you'd feel sick, right? And even if you love your job and you want to be there all the time, if you do it too much, it becomes a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, the turning point was I was running my video business. Uh, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, 
she gave me this ultimatum at the time. And she was telling, we were getting more serious. And she told me, look, I will not be your number two priority. So you need to figure that out. And she just gave it to me very black and white. And that, that was a, a transformational moment for me because I realized if I didn't have, you know, the date nights and the hard schedule to be able to give her that time and attention, then I was building my business at, a, at the expense of the rest of my life. And so what flipped there, this was like, you know, 13 years ago at this point, what flipped is that I started to schedule all of the family stuff first. So it, I'm sure you've heard that tip before, but whether it's date nights, it might, my wife and I do a weekly review every Sunday night to look at the calendar for the week. Um, we do we put our vacations on the calendar at the beginning of the year. We uh, we go away for a month in the summer every year. We like even random PTO days, like just taking Fridays off. I have no idea what's going to happen that month, but I've got Fridays off all scattered throughout the year because I know it's fun to be able to pick my kids up from school early and take them to Dave and Buster's or whatever, you know? And so when that stuff's on the calendar first, business commitments fill in around those things. And I think a mistake that I've heard even a lot of my consulting clients would make is that they try to pack the family stuff on last. And they're like, oh, how am I going to make time for family dinner or this or that, because I'm booked at all this stuff. Well, it's because you didn't book the family stuff out soon enough. So even if you have a full calendar today, anyone listening, I would suggest look a month out, three months out, six months out, start to schedule all the family priorities, all the personal stuff. It could be early morning runs. You want two hours to just walk through the woods, put that on your calendar. Um, it could be long lunches where you meet up with a significant other or your spouse or partner. It could be just getting out early for the day, picking your kids up from school, those sort of things, put them on the calendar and then they happen. Yeah. I mean, that that has been probably one of the number one things that has changed my life. One of the things I'm excited about that we just did, um, we'll see how it goes, but I just bought this giant whiteboard for the office in our house that is already like has a calendar all on it. Like but it's a whole year. So like <laughs> yeah. January to December. Yeah. And I, cause I'm a real visual person. And so I mean, my wife's a real detail person. So we're going to get like different color markers and kind of draw out the whole year, which is already a lot of it's on the calendar digitally. But I think yeah. seeing it in one big format will be kind of neat. But I love that what, you know, what your girlfriend and now wife said, you know, I will not be your number two priority. Um, yeah. I think, I read somewhere that it, it was actually not that long ago when we as a society started saying that we had priorities, making it plural, because originally mm. that was not like that word wasn't used like that. It was like, what is your mm. priority? Like, and that was it. Mm. There, there wasn't a plural version of the word oh, in essence so originally. And, um, uh-huh. and that was like a real thing to me that, and one of the things that's really like been powerful to me in the same context of that is as it relates to an isolated priority, and again, everybody's life is different. Not everybody's married, not everybody has kids, everybody's in different seasons of life, all of that affects things. But like for me right now, I can close my eyes and I have a vision of what my life looks like when I'm 75 years old. And I can see mm-hmm. the porch I'm sitting on, I can see my wife sitting next to me, and I can see my you know uh, glass of bourbon uh, in the evening, and I can see my grandkids playing in the yard, and yeah. I can see the water, and I can't see my business. And I can't see much else in life because because that is my sole focus for the seventy five year old version of me, and that has mm. been a really powerful thing over the last couple of years because I will stop and ask the question like how is this affecting the seventy five year old version of me? And my God, uh, I love that. that. There's this so, book a friend of mine, Cameron Harold, has Vivid Vision, really good book. If uh, this is just such a great time of year to sit down and think about those visions, mm. and what they say in the book is 
the more vivid you can describe them, just like you did with the bourbon and your family and the view, whatever you're looking at, do that for your personal life and your business life. And it's, it's such a fun exercise. So I do that with my wife. We share our visions together and then it helps some accountability to make sure that we're still on track every year as, as we review those things. One more trick that I'll share. Yep. I, I got a, a second cell phone, which sounds kind of silly. But I went and got one of the like the cheapest iPhone you could get, the one that they'll kind of give you free with the activation. Mm-hmm. And so it's still a, a smartphone, still has a browser if I need to like look up restaurant menus or movie times and I'm out with the kids. But I will switch to that phone on days that I'm disconnected from work, on a weekend day, on a day that I'm taking the kids out to an adventure. That way there's no temptation to look at mm-hmm. Slack or look at my email or anybody to be texting me. Um, so it's a great little trick I've done that's an extra $10 a month or something. That's a great idea. I have to physically disable my email uh, on my phone when I go out of town because I'm so much of an email addict. And uh, mm-hmm. I heard another guy who, like, he was really hardcore. He he had his assistant change his password for his email. So he was incapable of accessing his email without calling her or texting her to get the password to get into it. Then he had to be humiliated or feel bad that he was now trying to get into his email while he was on vacation. I thought that's when you know you have a real problem, but you're putting boundaries <laughs> yeah. in place to fix. I actually love the second phone. I might do that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I think a lot of people are going to take a lot away. I know it has been uh, challenging and convicting to me to think about some of these things in my own life and business. Uh, Where's the best place for people to find you online and learn more about uh, you and what you do? So I'll mention again the book, thebusinessplaybook.com. You can check that out. It's on Amazon or anywhere that books are sold. Uh, The audio book is coming out next month. So that will be uh, there soon for people that don't like to read. Uh, To find me, just chrisronzio.com or on Instagram and LinkedIn are the two places I hang out, just at chrisronzio. I'd love to hear from you. That's awesome. Uh, well, I'll definitely be downloading the audio book. That is the way I consume books. So meanwhile, Travis, my operations guy, is reading the physical book. Um, Chris, thanks for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure. I think a lot of people are going to benefit. Thanks so much, Jay.